0: Well, today is one of those Sundays that have been assigned to our lectionary. And uh, it's by more um, cynical people, it's called Hump Sunday. Because we finished the season of Pentecost, and next week we start Advent. So, what do you do with that period of time? You, you build a bridge, and you call it something, right? Hump Sunday. Not really. It's Christ the King Sunday. Now, where did that come from? Well, it came from the need for the church to address all the things that had been said about Jesus, about kingdoms, and about he sending his disciples out and telling people the kingdom of God is near. So Pope Pius XI in 1925 set aside November 24th to be the feast of Christ the King. Therefore, here we are. However, we are a post-revolutionary country. We're a post-revolutionary church. The same uh, uh, nation fathers that put together the American government put together the church. That's why we are a bicameral church with the House of Bishops and the House of Deputies, and then we go to convention every three years and we battle out some of the the changes and maybe some become canons, other becomes resolutions and so on and so forth. And because of who we are and the environment in which we live, we don't have much of an experience about monarchs and kings. So it is difficult to talk about that. However, it is challenging. And when I saw on the schedule that I was scheduled to preach today, it was kind of like, again? okay, here we go. So what I did was I started thinking about what has been our exposure to monarchs and so on and so forth. Um, And really what has impressed us more than Mum and now Andrew with all his doings is Hollywood Hollywood has brought to us a certain smattering of presentations of monarchs and kings and those people who have been in control and in power of countries and of people Some of you may remember the epic movies of the 50s and 60s, you know, with the the English rolling hills countryside and uh, the men in armor and the sword fighting and the jousting matches and always, they always had to have a damsel in distress that the handsome hero would rescue. How many of you remember Robert Taylor in a full armor? carrying a sword that was bigger than he was and weighed almost about as much as he did. Those were the things that we were exposed to. Among all the kings that I remember growing up with Hollywood, King Arthur always stood out, and all the directors and all the producers always brought King Arthur into the picture as the good king. In most of the movies, he the... the uh, The disaster that was going on in the country took place because he was out of the country. He had been run off. And things had gone very badly. And then at the end, when all things are resolved, he returns. He stood opposite to other kings who were self-centered, capricious, amassed wealth, cared only for themselves and set up others to be killed and lied to get power. So I want to share with you three examples, and maybe you've seen at least one of these movies. The first example of how not to be a king or to be someone, a monarch in place, I picked a bishop, because back then bishops also had legal power. And the Bishop of Aquila in the movie Lady Hawk, being in love with Lady Isabel and knowing that he could not marry her and she was in love with Captain Navarre, he passes a curse upon both of them, where during the daytime she is a hawk. And as the sun sets, she turns into a person, but he turns into a wolf, therefore never being together. That is resolved later on when Navarre challenges the bishop and wins. Prince Humperdinck, in what turned out to be at the beginning a comedy, but it brought about some real heavy and deep thinking. Prince's Bride. The story of the princess bride and Wesley. Young lovers, forever. He disappears, then he comes back. And by that time, Prince Humperdinck is in love with the princess bride. And he wants more power, more country, more dirt. And he tortures Wesley, her true love to get him out of the way. And Wesley recovers and wins her back. And the last one I want to share with you is Robin, Prince of Thieves, the Sheriff of Nottingham, a man who wanted power over people, power over everything. And being hungry for power and possessions, he keeps Robin Loxley from his property that has, had been taken from his father and tries to steal Maiden Marion. Again, the hero comes through at the end and rescues the damsel in distress. We also have, for our advantage, if you will, the parables about the kingdom that Jesus talks about. In today's readings, we find some descriptions of what our king is, because we do have a king. Jeremiah says, Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the lands where they've been driven, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them, and they shall not fear any longer, nor be dismayed, nor shall any be missing, says the Lord. I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Justice, righteousness, no fear. Paul talks about God and Jesus. He says that God has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption, forgiveness of sin, salvation, justice, righteousness. That does not sound like any of the kings and monarchs that I shared with you, does it? In Jesus, we have the fullness of God. He was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross." That's the kind of king we have. That's the kind of king that today we remember. Now for us, why is this message of a kingdom so important? Well, I want to share with you three possible ideas. Number one, Jesus is not a value that, that we can negotiate, or he is a, uh, um, a, a preference that we can ignore. He is the truth. He is the Son of God. And as such, he cannot be changed. We all remember Clarence Darrow, One year, during the Depression, he was in a black church in Chicago addressing the congregation. And there were many poor people. There were many homeless. There were many hungry. But he was taken aback and very surprised about the way they sang. They sang joyfully. And he asked a member of the choir, you have nothing. You're in the middle of despair. Why do you think so joyfully? And she said, Sir, that's because we have Jesus to sing about. He can overcome all that. The second reason is because what this day says about us we are God's kingdom. We are little monarchs walking around doing the right thing, observing the law, but caring for His people. We are His priests is the priesthood of all believers. We are his brothers and sisters, his daughters and sons. We are the children of the Most High. And as such, we are very important. Let me tell you a story about Brigadier General Theodore Roosevelt, Jr. Leaving one of the islands in the Pacific. He's waiting for a plane. And the sailor comes up And says to him, I want to see my mother, and time is running out. There are no more seats in the plane. The young man thinking that the brigadier general could do something for him, he does. He gets out of the plane and gives his seed to the sailor. Later on, in great amazement, a colonel asks him, General, why did you do that? He said, because I am only a general, and he is a son. That's what the Bible says about us. If you read it, we are sons and daughters of God, and I think we need to be excited about that. We need to have a certain knowledge of who we are. We are those from whom Christ, the Son of God, gave His life on the cross so that you and I may have salvation and justice and righteousness, peace. He gave His life for us so that we would benefit. And the last one is because this day says something about how we are to live. When we know who we are, we behave that way. Take you back to Hollywood, the movie Moonstruck. It's a story about several people within one family. And Olivia Dukakis plays the wife, and her marriage is really not doing very well. As a matter of fact, she finds out that her husband is having another affair, not the first one. So she's very hurt and decides to do something that she normally did not do. And she went to a bar to get a drink. And there she is met by a man who's trying to pick her up. And you hear the dialogue back and forth. And she says, well, I think it's time for me to go home. He says, may I walk you home? And she says, yes, that'll be fine. And as they approach the house, he wants to come in with her. And she looks at him and says, no, 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 no. I know who I am. And the man bids adieu and leaves. When we anticipate a royal inheritance from God, we act that way. When we know who our king is, we begin to practice that perfected life of love and charity. Certain wholeness, which will be ours someday and forever. We are children of the King of Kings. Remember that. And that is how we are to act. We have a motto, a mo- uh, I mean, a, a motto, and that is we have a king. And we need to let people know that. We need to tell the world so no one will be mistaken that we are his church, we're his bride. We're his children, and we are a community of priests. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.